welcome back to the Esoteric News Briefs, your source for the mysterious, the paranormal, and the strange. Tonight we have a selection of archaeology, paleontology, and some uncategorized weirdness. Starting out, we go to the Lingxia region of Gansu province in China, where they have unearthed a massive ancestor of the modern rhinoceros. The fossil includes a skull, jaw, teeth, and vertebrae. The condition of these few scant remains are enough for scientists to know what family they belong to, as well as determine that it is a new species within that family. Known as Paraceratherium lingxians, this creature is huge. The photo in the article shows just one of the vertebrae, and it's the size of a human torso. Just one of its vertebrae. You know what's crazy about this? This isn't even the largest Paraceratherium species. It is a solid contender for second place, though. An interesting side note, this species is very similar to an ancestor species that was found in Pakistan, implying the possibility of a rather large pattern of migration. Moving to the Middle East, and considerably further back in time, we find a new species of Carcharodontosaurus, or shark-toothed lizard. Dubbed Ulubegsaurus uzbekistanensis, scientists were surprised to find that this creature was double the size of the region's previously known apex predator, which was a species of tyrannosaur called Timorlengia. This discovery was made based on a fragment of a jawbone that was found in the Kizilkum Desert in the 1980s, but it was in storage until 2019. Carcharodontosaurus were generally larger than tyrannosaurs but built much slimmer, so what they lacked in sheer muscle power they made up for in speed and size. This is the first known dinosaur of this family found in Central Asia, and is the last known example of a Carcharodontosaurus and Tyrannosaurus sharing an ecosystem before the extinction of the Carcharodontosaurus species. The Uzbekistanensis has a unique feature also found on Thanatotheristes, a Canadian Tyrannosaur species bony ridges on the side of the jaw. It's unclear what purpose these ridges served on either species. Moving forward a few million years, gemologist Brian Berger discovered a singularly unique opal on a trip to Indonesia. One that contains a preserved insect. Some researchers weren't sure it was possible, says Berger. Until now, it seemed that opalized amber was largely just theoretical. Opalization is believed to happen in a similar process to how bone fossilizes into stone, meaning that this piece was initially fossilized from tree sap into amber, and then underwent a secondary fossilization process where it changed from amber into opal. This isn't the only example of secondary opalization found in the Pacific. Recently, an opalized dinosaur jaw was discovered in Australia showing that there may be a unique geological process taking place in Oceania. I'm honestly not sure how to introduce this next article because it's, well, just so weird. So I'll just say it. Excavations in the Tunnel Wielki Cave in Poland revealed the burial of a young girl who had the head of at least one finch stuffed in her mouth at the time of burial. It is estimated that she died between 1655 and 1657, and there is zero idea why her mouth was stuffed with bird heads. White Sands National Park is not as well known as the surrounding White Sands Missile Range, 
but with a recent discovery, it may become one of the most significant archaeological sites in the Americas. This place is a desert, which means that it gets very little rain. But when it does, in one particular area, ghostly human footprints appear on the stone. Scientists were able to date these footprints using several unique context clues. First, in the dirt layer directly above these footprints are mammoth tracks, meaning that they were laid down before mammoths were extinct in America. Next, they tested seeds found in the same layer. These seeds, from a plant commonly known as ditch grass, were found in layers both above and below the human footprints. The dating revealed that these tracks are now the oldest known evidence for human habitation in the Americas, falling somewhere between 21,000 and 23,000 years old, making them thousands of years older than the oldest estimated dates of human habitation. This shows that humans entered the Americas at least during the last glacial maximum, the scientific term for the height of the Ice Age. More fascinating is that there are enough tracks being found that it is estimated the area was inhabited by humans for at least 2,000 years. Most of these tracks were left by teenagers and children. Apparently, for all of human history, children have had sticky fingers. Literally. A recent archaeological find in India revealed fossilized muddy handprints on limestone walls in the Tibetan Plateau. Based on the size, it is estimated that the children were between the ages of 7 and 12 years old. By estimating the decay of trace uranium in the deposits, scientists believe that the prints are between 169,000 and 226,000 years old. Because they are only handprints, it's hard to determine which species of human made them, but based on the location, it's quite possible that they were left by Denisovans. Unsurprisingly, the biggest debate in relation to this find is the question, is it art? This may seem cynical, and it totally is, but at the same time, it's hard to determine the intentionality of these prints. Were they specifically arranged, or were they simply kids being kids? Considering these handprints are 200,000 years old, it's really hard to determine their intentions. Moving forward in time, we have something that we know is art. Life-size camel sculptures found in Saudi Arabia. When initially discovered in 2018, researchers estimated them to be about 2,000 years old. According to findings reported in the Journal of Archaeological Science, it is now estimated that the carvings are between 7 and 8,000 years old. To place this in perspective, the Great Pyramids of Giza are roughly 4,500 years old, and Stonehenge is estimated to be around 5,000 years old. Scientists use chemical analysis of the stone itself, as well as comparative analysis of the tool marks, to arrive at this rough date. The forms are carved in such detail that scientists could confirm that some of the depicted animals were specifically shown in mating season. Not for the reasons you're thinking, though. Some of these camels had bulging necklines, and some had rounded stomachs showing pregnancy, leading some archaeologists to believe that this area was routinely used during this specific season. Oddly enough, the creation of this art is believed to be much older than the domestication of the species. 
The carvings themselves are made in sandstone cliffs and appear to have been carved and recarved over several generations as the weather eroded them. Intense weathering in modern times has sped up this process, so current study is very much a race against a geological clock. In other efforts at archaeological preservation, Mexican officials are actually reburying a site in the ancient Aztec city of Tenochtitlan. The site is a drainage tunnel constructed to divert floodwaters resulting from torrential rains. Spanish conquistadors destroyed many of the structures after their conquest, and it wasn't until later that their settlements began to flood that they realized, hey, we kind of made a mistake. So they repaired and rebuilt several of the structures. These rebuilt drainage systems are a synthesis of both Spanish and indigenous design, showing that while the conquerors may have introduced new materials, such as mortar, they still deferred to local construction techniques. Several pre-Hispanic glyphs were also discovered in the stone structure, and it's assumed that these were placed there by indigenous residents used during the reconstruction. Because of the ongoing financial burden caused by the COVID pandemic, Mexican officials are re-interring their finds until a proper exhibit can be constructed in the future. To finish off this episode, I'm going to do a series of quick articles. They're generally self-explanatory and have very little added information, so just sit back and enjoy. Slime molds are just weird. While they are considered living organisms, they have no brain or nervous system. They aren't plants, animals, or fungi. They just sort of exist in a strange little category of their own. Starting out as a series of singular cells, they merge to form a single-celled organism called a plasmodium, which continues to eat and grow. What makes them really weird is that they show signs of intelligence, such as memory, puzzle-solving capabilities, and even complex problem-solving that is normally used to test the intelligence of animals. How is this possible? Well, we really don't know. But scientists are testing several theories, all of which sound like science fiction, but may in fact be possible. Ophiojura is a deep-sea creature known as a bristle star, a distant cousin of the starfish. Unlike starfish, who have stumpy, leg-like appendages, bristle stars have snake-like arms similar to something you'd see in a Lovecraft-inspired horror movie. Ophiojura takes every description of a bristle star and then amps it up to 11. It has eight sets of jaws lined with needle-like teeth, and its tendrils are all lined with hooks and spines. Doing a DNA analysis, scientists discovered that the closest living relative of the Ophiojura died during the Triassic Age, making this the lone survivor of a largely extinct species. Beyond all of that, this creature was discovered near an undersea volcano, so kill it with fire probably won't do much if it decides that it wants to eat your face. On June 24th, in Lackawanna County, Pennsylvania, police were called to the lumber aisle of Home Depot. Upon their arrival, they escorted out several people for, quote, bad behavior. According to statements taken, the people were holding an exorcism for the dead trees that had been turned into lumber there is no indication that this incident had anything to do with the rising price of 2x4s. 
Until recently, the mineral known as alabogdanite was only ever found in relation to extraterrestrial impacts, generally meteors. However, a deposit of the ultra-rare mineral has been discovered near the Dead Sea. While it has only ever been found in relation to extraterrestrial sources, scientists believe that it is possible to form the mineral terrestrially under the correct conditions. These conditions include extremely high pressure, specifically pressure exceeding 25 gigapascals, an amount of force produced from events such as, oh, I don't know, meteor strikes? What's weird about the Dead Sea deposit, though, is that there is zero evidence of an impact event, leaving scientists completely stumped. So, there is this particularly nasty snake known as the Lancehead Pit Viper. Its venom causes excessive clotting in the blood until your body can no longer clot anything, and then you simply bleed to death. Scientists, and I'm guessing mad scientists, were largely fascinated by the clotting properties of this venom, and they decided to replicate it in a more stable form. They extracted the molecule responsible for the enhanced clotting, added it to a bioadhesive gel, and made a wound-sealing superglue. It seems that the gel is activated using light, and scientists quip that even the light of a cell phone flashlight will work. This concludes another edition of the Esoteric News Briefs. Links to all the articles are provided in the show notes. Did you like what you heard? Do you think that it was worth maybe, I don't know, a dollar? Then you should help me out and join my Patreon, where you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. Granted, higher-level donors get special treatment, like Samantha Shaver, who gets a shout-out on every single show. If you aren't able to financially contribute, there are several free options. Notably, just share the show with your friends. Or, you could also sign up for Podchaser.com. It's completely free, and it's sort of like a combination of IMDB and Rotten Tomatoes, but for podcasts. You can leave reviews for entire podcast productions, individual episodes, or even for the host. It's far more convenient than leaving a review on that fruit-based podcast platform, if you know what I mean. Esoteric Book Club can be found on Facebook, Patreon, and at esotericbookclub.org, as well as every major podcast platform. Until next time, remember, stay weird. <laughs>